welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Artificial Intelligence, I for one welcome the new Robot Overlords. Let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome everybody to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Swimona. Dress up when you strip down in the most comfortable denim swimsuit the ocean has ever seen. Dive in with Swimona. Welcome everybody to The Pestle. <laughs> I am Wes. And I'm Todd. And this is the podcast where we like to analyze movies to see what they have to offer as, you know, an audience, the writing, the directing. Sometimes uh, every once in a while we'll talk about some of the cinematography. Uh, hardly ever. That's not every single episode of the show for sure. But <laughs> it definitely is every single episode. Yeah. It is amazing, like all the talent that goes into making one film, like Especially something, you know, big, uh, whenever you're thinking about like Steve Jobs or whatever, you can go watch at the multiplex, if you will. But people, I think, kind of assume certain certain parts of it, right? They assume, oh, yeah, lights, uh, you're going to have gear and, you know, cameras and you're going to have a, a director and actors and you're, they're all going to be on set and maybe there's someone doing makeup. But even if you can imagine everybody that works on a set in the in the obvious capacity, there's still people even on set that you you don't just imagine uh, or assume there's going to be someone there, you know, taking pictures for behind the scenes. There's going to be someone that's uh, medical like you're probably going to have, you know, on these bigger sets for sure. You're going to have someone uh, who's, you know, a a medic uh, ready to spring into action. That doesn't even get into like uh, the Teamsters, right, that are driving people around or just a thousand other little production managers, people on that are, uh, you know, escorting, you know, the PAs and dealing with the extras. Like there's so many people on set that all have a specific function. It's kind of mind boggling. And then you take a step back, just the things around the production uh, in terms of pre-production, you might have someone that does storyboards. Um, you're going to have, you know, producers who are coordinating all the, all the stuff for production. Uh, you might have, the money men who are just kind of sitting in meetings and hopefully staying out of the way and just saying, what do you need? <laughs> and then you get into post and yeah. you start getting into the PR reps and people who are going to be there to, you know, uh, give you all the press and you're going to have artists who are working on the posters. Uh, you're going to have a photographer who's probably going to be working on the poster and promotional material. There is an insane number of jobs that goes into every single film that you see. And I promise if you stay and watch the credits on any movie, uh, you'll see 95%. I don't think everyone always makes it into the credits for this or that reason. Like there's times when screenwriters don't make it into a credit uh, just based on what the WGA rules. Uh, And so, but the credits are important to kind of verify that, yeah, I worked on that project. Uh, And that's why you always see 5,000 names slowly crawl by uh, because everyone put a fingerprint on it. All that's to say astounds me the amount of talent that I think surrounds our industry. And even whenever I start thinking about our own friends, uh, I mentioned a few episodes ago that our buddy Joe Howes, who made this website that is all about uh, movies and trying to help you see where movies overlap in terms of the cast, the crew, like you might wonder like who worked on whatever Pirates of the Caribbean that also worked on uh, Rob Roy or Steve Jobs or whatever and you just find all these weird connections or all these actors that worked on the same thing and he built this idea out of nothing and you to really appreciate that you have to understand Joe Howells 
does a thousand things. Like he wears a thousand hats. He is a coder and a programmer for one of the best visual effects companies in the world, Weta, down in New Zealand. And on top of that, he's an incredible actor. He's an incredible musician. Like he's a drummer who can just mm -hmm. kill. And I'm sure I'm forgetting a hundred other things, but it just blows me away how multi-talented, I think pe people in general, but especially once you get into this industry, you'll run across people like him, people like you, same thing. Like you're a, oh. you're a lyricist, you're a musician, you're an athlete and not, not just like a, a, you know, one hour a week or a weekend warrior. Like you've put in some serious miles and training in like triathlons, Ironmans, uh, that's not for the faint of heart. You have to be a considerable athlete to complete one of those, let alone uh, be competitive. And of course, you, you've been competitive. Uh, and so it astounds me, especially on our level, how much talent is around us and how much uh, we put on ourselves in order to, you know, create something. But I just find so much uh, inspiration out of, I don't know, the, uh, the desire, the passion, you know, of a thousand different methods, uh, that surrounds our people. And I'm just curious, uh, from your perspective, like who are the other people around you? And, uh, I think of like Scott, uh, and just the weird things that you don't connect with movies because programmers are needed to make movies. It's weird, but they need coders for random mm -hmm. things. And there's just a lot of odd bits and ends because I think movies encapsulate every facet of life. And it also goes on behind the scenes when you, when you don't expect it. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. Weird. Well said. Well, the one thing about Joe and I know, you know, our listeners might not know Joe, but we have talked about him before. But one thing about Joe is that one of the coolest things about that guy is that he's a, he's a nice guy. Cause he didn't have to be, you know, like so many of these people, you know, you could be brilliant, but be like, well, spoiler alert. If you have not seen Steve jobs, go watch Steve jobs. Um, it's free on Netflix right now. So, so go watch it before we start the episode. That being said, you could be brilliant and be an asshole and then nobody wants to be around you. And that's, that's fine. Uh, you know, for maybe 12 people on the planet. Right. But for most of us, that just means that people don't want to be around you. And if people don't want to be around you, they don't want to work hard for you either and, or with you in, in any capacity. So, you know, unless you're Christopher Nolan and you can, not that he, I have, um, he seems like a very nice man. I have no idea if he's or a Hitchcock. Nice or not I've always heard Hitchcock okay, was rough. Yeah. Yeah. You can be like that. And then, but it's hard to be like that before you've made yourself before you've start, you've like made the company, right? Like only a handful of people can be that way. Right. Most people, you have to like, you start the thing and then you become like this eccentric asshole or whatever you want. But like someone like Joe is really good at a lot of things and he's so humble about it and so kind and, uh, and, and giving, and he just does stuff that he likes to do. And that's one of the things, so, you know, say what you will about Steve jobs, but I live my life off of a one quote that he made that I saw years, years ago that he made at a, at, I think it's Stanford's commencement speech where he said, if you wake up too many days in a row, not wanting to do the thing you're doing, change it, do something else. And that really stuck with me. 
it kind of like gave me the excuse to just do what I wanted to do. I'm not really answering your question though. Anyway, I'm, I'm going to stop. Yeah. What are we going to so, yeah, do today? We're, that, we're doing Steve Jobs today. So like I said earlier, if you haven't watched it, it's on Netflix, please go watch it and then pause the episode and then come back and, and, uh, and check this out with us. Yeah. We'll talk about a few things. Um, I don't have a ton, but uh, we'll touch on cinematography and some of the camera work, their uh, formats, and we'll touch on music. I noticed a couple really fun, cool things they were doing in the music. Uh, and we'll also touch on story and writing, uh, dramatic conflict. It's one of the the best things that Aaron Sorkin has to offer and it's on full display in, in a film like this. And so, yeah, we'll talk about all those things and other such stuff and things and stuff. Okay, so Steve Jobs takes us behind the scenes of the digital revolution to paint a portrait of the man at its epicenter. Uh, the story unfolds backstage at three iconic product launches, ending in 1998 with the unveiling of the iMac, directed by Danny Boyle, screenplay by Aaron Sorkin, based on the book by Walter Isaacson, cinematography by Alwyn H. Hutchler, starring Michael Fassbender as Steve Jobs, Kate Winslet as Joanna Hoffman, Seth Rogen as Steve Wozniak, uh, Jeff Daniels as John Scully, Michael Stolberg as Andy Hertzfeld, and Catherine Watterson as Chris Ann. If it weren't for me, you'd be the easiest day at Homestead High School. These people live and die by your praise. So here's your chance. Acknowledge that something good happened that you weren't in the room for. No. Steve, do it. It's right. It's... It's right. Sorry, but no. Let me put it another way. I don't think there's a man who's done more to advance the democratization that comes with personal computing than I have, but you've never had any respect for me. Now, why is that? I'd at least consider the possibility that's because you've never had any for me. What the hell is going on here? Nothing. Thank you for your time. It's done. She's coming back. You came a half inch from putting this company out of business. Now, who do I see about that? I'm letting you keep your job. You get a pass. You know, when people used to ask me what the difference was between me and Steve Jobs, I would say Steve was the big picture guy, and I liked a solid workbench. When people ask me what the difference is now, I say Steve's an asshole. Your products are better than you are, brother. That's the idea, brother. And knowing that, that's the difference. It's not binary. You can be decent and gifted at the same time. So many that speaks to it. Right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's just so many great scenes. I mean, this entire movie is a collection of great scenes. But before we get into any of that, how good is Seth Rogen? Oh, yeah. He is was. He is was. Yeah. Amazing. It makes me want for him to have more and more dramatic roles. I've seen him in other really good roles, and I would have to go through his his filmography to pick out my favorite, but for right now in this moment, I'm like, this is my favorite thing he's ever done, uh, you know, performance wise. And he's not even in it very much. No, but he's still, yeah. you know, just packs a wallop. It's, it's really Impactful, incredible. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, what was your impression of this? Do you feel like this kind of 
added new light to Steve Jobs or is this basically on par with what you would expect out of him? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen it before. I mean, anytime you can have an uh, like an insight, you know, you can uh, into a figurehead like that in a dramatic film. It's it's enticing. Right. It's like exciting to watch. Right. There was. OK, so so I remember I remember the first time I saw it and I was just glued to it because I'm like anything Steve Jobs. I'm just so enamored with the with the man. Right. And it was interesting to find out, you know, the th- the the story about the daughter that he just barely even recognized that she was his daughter for the first half of her life and, and, uh, um, didn't treat her very well and, and, and all that stuff. I read a book about him and I I heard about that and I kind of like thought, okay, he's eccentric guy and you know, whatever, but he's an asshole. He was an asshole. And the whole thing that went down with Waz and everything and, and the Apple II and it was just, it's it's hard to describe. There are, I'm of I'm of two camps of two minds, right? I'm of the mind of, and we we covered this in another episode, I guess, early on when we had um, uh, our buddy Joe Parsons on on the episode Clue. for Whiplash. No, no he Whiplash. Was, no, he wasn't on Whiplash. He wasn't on Whiplash. No. Oh, maybe we just talked about. Whiplash. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I just I'm of two camps where like. I get it and I still, and I don't, th- I, I get it and understand it. And yet I don't think it's necessary at the same time, right? You can be a good teacher and not be a jerk. You can be a decent person and still change the world within, with a design or an invention. You can do the, the like was said, they're not mutually exclusive, but, uh, this is his story. Now as a movie, it was enjoyable to watch, but I felt like um, there were several times where there was just so much exposition and I understand they have to give that to you, but I was, I felt like honestly, so I love Aaron Sorkin. I think he's a brilliant writer and I love it when he works with Jeff Daniels. I think he and Jeff just, he writes for Jeff Daniels. Like he just, I mean, you know, the newsroom, like all this stuff It's really, really good. And Jeff, nails it. I mean, he's unbelievable in his role, but I felt like so many times it was just lazy. It was lazy writing from him in some sometimes. Now there was brilliant brilliance in, in a lot of it, like in this, in the scene where Scully comes to see like, like later on in the 1998. Yes. And when he's about to launch next, he goes to see Steve and they have that that fight, that argument um, about when, you know, Scully pushed Jobs out and stuff. Oh, uh, 1988. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 1988. That's what I meant. Yeah. And and they have the flashback mixed in with the story, mm-hmm. right? And, and I thought that was brilliant writing and brilliant editing. And I loved it. I loved like finding out the the reality while we we're hearing the argument go on and like, you know, all this stuff. And I thought that is the Aaron Sorkin that like I know and love. But I just felt like it was being served to me probably a quarter of the rest of the time where I – OK. I get the idea. We're staying in these spaces. These spaces are home. These spaces of convention centers where we're going to unveil this thing. Get it? 
totally get it. And yet there were moments where it's like, okay, Joanna gets up to leave the room and is pulled back in by the conversation. I understand that it's to give me more information as a viewer because that's what happens. It's like she gets pulled back into the room to give me more information about what Steve feels about his daughter, you know, or what, uh, quote unquote, or what, um, why he's still, you know, what, why, like, okay. So the example I'm talking about is, uh, before, right before they launched the iMac towards the end where she's, she's like really upset, really upset that he's alienated his daughter for the last 19 years. And, you know, she pushes the papers off the, off the table and everything. And they have this, this talk and he's arguing with her about why, you know, he's mad that he, she let her mom sell the house. And then she's about to, she's, she gets up and she's about to leave. Right. And then he says something and she turns around and walks back in and to walk back in and, and say something and then leave or say something. And then somebody else comes in so that she can leave. I get it. But she comes back in and she sits down and that drives me crazy a little bit <laughs> because I know it's for me and I, and I know that we're trapped in these spaces. Like I'm, I'm well aware we are not leaving these spaces. Like this conversation is an enclosed conversation in this room. We're not leaving this room until this conversation is over. When it's over, we're going to leave the room and the air is going to change. The feeling is going to change. So, so I know, okay. I'm staying with this feeling because she hasn't left the room. We haven't left this room. And that feels very, I feel verklempt, you know? I felt like, like I couldn't escape it. I felt like I, I was, I mean, being told what to feel. And I didn't like it. I enjoyed the film. I enjoyed the behind the scenes look. I liked the idea of staying you know, in the convention center kind of like vibe where you have three different things, you know, and not going outside until the very end, which I thought was a beautiful ending. And I love that he had addresses the I, the iPod. It's brilliant. It's so brilliant. I'm going to put a thousand songs in your pocket. Well, you know, 500, maybe, you know, whatever. It's brilliant. So good. So good. Really humanizes him. Then it's, I don't know. I don't know. I disagree. I have like, so many that, problems. That scene uh, is to me, yeah, she's leaving because she is mad. It's not she's not leaving because she has something else to do. She's leaving because she's not going to take any more of this. And uh, they she put the stakes on the table that, you know, you can resolve this or I can go work wherever I want. I don't have to be here. Um, I choose to be here and I'm about to choose to be somewhere else. If you don't stop being such a gigantic prick because she established also that she's the only person who ever stands up to him. Nobody else stands up to him and gets their way. At least like we see that with Wozniak. I mean, we see that with everyone, like he gives no one else uh, ground and she's the only person that's able to, to push him. And I mean, you're right. There is exposition involved with explaining who, where the daughter is now. We don't even get to meet her uh, until the last like 15 minutes in the, in the third act there. But because she was storming out and then he relents, uh, I was totally fine with her coming in and emotionally resolving, you know, their dispute. And now there's an opportunity and it, all it does is trigger his next fight because that's whenever he finds out that, you know, Hertzfeld Andy, uh, was paying, paid her tuition at wherever was it Harvard. I don't remember Harvard, uh, Harvard. Uh, and so 
yeah, I, that didn't, you know, I, it all made sense to me. It felt uh, accurate in terms of, you know, the emotional stakes writing through, uh, like you were saying, there, this is an emotional moment uh, with a through line. And once they completed that, yeah, it just triggered the next, you know, the whole thing with Andy and therapy and that whole. Yeah, but yeah, but when you're arguing with somebody, dude, and you're about to leave, you don't come in, you don't cut like, and somebody says something to make you come back in the room. You don't just come back and sit down and have this conversation. Like you come back in and you're like, listen to me. You maybe put your finger in their face or you like, you, you walk up to them, you get close to them. You try to explain to them in a different way than you've been explaining for the last you know, but you don't need to do that whenever you've, he's already relented. You're going to start, you're going to keep fighting with someone who's now agreeing with you. No, that makes you an asshole. So why not leave the room? That's my point. Because he changed his mind. Why would, why wouldn't she? If if I'm leaving because you're being an an ass and then you say, okay, I'm going to stop being an ass. Then it's like, okay, well we can be friends again. Like that. That's not what happened. He, he's not, she knows she's known him for the last, been working for him for 19 years. She knows that that's not what he means when he says, when he says, I'll send him a check tomorrow or today or whatever. When he says that it is not because he wants to pay for her college tuition. It is, it's, it's a total like, like fine, I'll do it. What? That's it. That's not, that's, he did not. I don't know what else you think you're going to get out of Steve jobs. That's a big victory to get someone like him to do something that he didn't want to do. That's a, that's all you could ask for. (laughs) No, the only, she knows the only reason he's sending that check is because he doesn't want the press to find out that he didn't pay for his own daughter's college tuition. That's the only reason she knows that. But what I'm talking about is my, is what I did not like about the film, the way it made me feel. Mm. It made me feel like I couldn't escape these places. And it, that might be because of the way it was set up, because it was had to be shot in these in these enclosed spaces. And and a scene takes place in a room and we don't leave the room until, you know, and I know that Sorkin likes to write somewhat in that way, like where things take place mm. in this a certain thing takes place in this space and this space is for this conversation. And a lot happens in that. And we don't escape that until the conversation has evolved into something. Right. And that's, that's fine. That's totally fine. The way I just felt one of the reasons why I liked the scene cutting outside of those spaces, mm, the flashback um, and then back. Yeah. Is because mm. I felt like I was, I would look, I don't have a problem with exposition, right? Let me be clear. But I know I say, yeah, half I know of it's I, exposition, but it's all through, I think, character development and perspective uh, building. It's never exposition for the sake of exposition. It's always exposition for the sake of uh, conflict. And I think that's a completely different matter. It's not like we get a title card that says uh, Steve Jobs is a jerk and doesn't want to recognize his father. It exposition comes through the form of conflict and interpersonal, you know, relationship issues. And I think that's a, that's a much more satisfying way to find out information than whatever. I mean, title card. Yeah, but that's not what I felt okay. with that. I, I, I felt like it was being spoon fed to me and to, I mean, to, you know, to be fair, I probably know a little bit more about Steve jobs than, you know, the normal person on on the street. Right. But I also know more about movies than the normal person on the street. So, 
and I know more about Aaron Sorkin than a lot of just the normal person on the street, uh, meaning I've watched more of his stuff. So I just feel like he had better in him. That's all I mean. Mm-hmm. Like I've, dude, I watched the newsroom. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. I, I, I've watched, like, I know what the guy can do. And I felt like there were times where it was just, it could have been better. It was a little lazy. It was like being spoon fed to me. Um, and then there were scenes like the scene where the cutaway scene about jobs being pushed out, I thought was brilliant. There were scenes like the rooftop scene at the end, him talking to his daughter thought was brilliant. I I didn't really care for the ending of him just being this amazing hero dude and then just fades and then nothing. It's just like, Oh yeah, he is my dad. And he, remembered this thing that I did 19 years ago and, and he printed it out and he had it on me. And so he's a good dude. No, he's an asshole. And he went to the, in the movie on him, like biting someone's head off. I'm not, I don't, I'm not saying how they should have ended the movie. I'm just saying like they spend the entire movie painting him as an asshole. And then they spend five seconds making him a good guy. And that didn't feel right. Hmm. It, It, I'm not saying they needed to end it with him also being an asshole. I think, I, it's, that might've been the best way to end the movie. I'm just saying it felt a little like, okay, it's been two hours. It's time to make him a good guy and then cut her and then, and then end it. It's like, no, he's still a jerk and he's still, you know, going to do what he, he does. And I, I mean, maybe, I mean, it, dude, maybe that's the feeling that we're supposed to be left with that. He's still an, he's still an asshole. And yet, he does love his daughter and he always has. I mean, that's a feeling I do have. I yeah. do have that. Uh, and I thought the music at the end was fantastic. I mean, I don't even know what band that was, but Same. that was incredible, no. incredible music. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I agree in the say. sense not, of, uh, dude, I don't hate the movie. <laughs> right, I, like no, no, the I get that. Like, you know, I just felt like, I just felt like there were, t- there were parts where like, man, I expected, I expected a little bit better. You know, um, I thought Fastbender was fantastic. Winslet was fantastic. I mean, all the acting was, I mean, even, even Chris Ann, like just, you know, small roles, but they were really great. Yeah. They were, everything was really well delivered. So I don't, yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I agree to some extent about, you know, how they wrapped it up. Like, let's leave it on a positive note because I don't think you want to walk out of a movie about the title character and hating them. But I think it was also used to the effect of kind of showing that he's a complex character. Like you, as much as you hate him, it's not like he's just one big ball of hate and one, you know, trying to not use all the the obvious terrible verbiage of pejoratives that we usually use to describe uh, people we don't like in power. (laughs) Um, But like, yeah, I think he was just trying to, you know, create a more complex and sophisticated outlook on the guy because it is easy, I think, to put everyone into one single category to say this guy was a a beast. Um, I've seen people email him, right? Random Joe's like you or I email him and get a response and then go back and forth with the guy. Like, and you've always heard, you know, the, the nightmare stories about how he treats his employees and is really rough. And so it's easy to kind of come in and walk away with someone who all that's all they do and that's all they are. And so I just appreciate it because they could have focused. I believe he had another family, right? That, uh, with other kids, uh, it, it could have been easy to focus on, you know, the loving dad that he was to them instead of the complex relationship that he had, uh, with his other daughter. And I really appreciate that 
they didn't take the easy way out to make him a, a good guy, but they tried to give him some kind of redeeming quality that showed that as much as he fought against uh, this issue, and you could probably distill it down into what you said a minute ago, like, yeah, he stroked a check to not look like an asshole in the press. Uh, to some degree, that's probably why he took care of her in the first place uh, throughout you know, most of the years. And in the film, they still put a, a, a selfish spin on it that goes beyond that, that goes more into, I see myself in her. Like he could see uh, how precocious she was and uh, how thoughtful she was. And the, the indication through the writing is that that was why he really started supporting her is because not just that she convinced him that that was his daughter, more along the lines of he wants to take credit for the brilliance that I think she has in her. And so the more that he can kind of attach himself to that, the more he can take credit for that, uh, because if if there's one of 50 things you take away from this film is that Steve jobs likes credit, even in that scene, right. That we played a minute ago with him and Waz having it out was one of the first jabs he throws. He's like, I'd like you to admit that there was something brilliant that happened that you weren't in the room for. Um, and I think that pretty well sums up, uh, Steve's, uh, attitude with a lot of people and a lot of work. He seems like the kind of person that would, uh, completely tear down someone else's work because he didn't have his fingerprint on it. And that's someone that I could never work with. I couldn't, there's 0% chance he and I would have ever got along in the same room as creatives. And it's for that reason, because I'm more interested in letting the best idea win, uh, not in, you know, dictating what's a good idea. <laughs> like, uh, right. But yeah, I think that's all fair. Maybe not all fair, but I think a lot of what you're saying is fair, especially uh, with his portrayal uh, and the, the feel good note. Uh, and it, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, they could, they, they, Dude, they had two hours to insert little bits of him being kind throughout the film instead of just like the one time we see him do something that was selfless was at the very fucking end. Like you can you have two hours. He doesn't have to be an asshole for, you know, an hour and 58 minutes and then be kind the last two minutes like that is a very that is more of a one dimensional character than I would expect from Aaron Sorkin. I would expect those. I moments. think he had way more dimensions there. than you're giving him credit for because you start th you start thinking about the conversation with his dad and why he didn't reveal himself to his dad, and you you start. Yeah, but that's at the that's like that's like almost at the end. Yeah, yeah, you know? no, that's 1998. Uh, but it even early on, like you're seeing him the way he he's trying to rep uh, Waz, even th though he's not giving him what he wants, he still respects him and is looking out for him. He's you know, and he threatens. I love when he threatens Scully in the in the second chapter uh, when he's like. Uh, don't you ever use Waz like that again. Um, mm. I will always protect him and look out for him. Like you get the sense, uh, e even with Hertzfeld, like he, and you just see where his, his focus is. His focus isn't on being a good person. It's on getting a result. And it goes back to that idea you're talking about with, you know, can you get the best while still uh, maintaining a modicum of uh, decency about you? Uh, and that's his worldview is that, no, you can't. He doesn't think you can. He doesn't think greatness is possible short of being an absolute ass. And I mean, I'll get into that here in a second with the story and writing. Holy crap. <laughs> 
<laughs> we haven't even begun. We haven't even started yet. This is going to be great. So I'll dive in right now. That cinematography, one of the first things that's obvious is the way they use film stock. You know, throughout the different eras, you get three different, very distinct looks. And I love that for like 1984, they use super 16 millimeter film, uh, which is a smaller film. And so whenever you blow it up, it's more grainy. All the grain that makes up all the uh, the pixels, so to speak, it becomes bigger. And it's just a little more dated and it looks uh, very old, much older than whenever you jump into 88. They go twice the resolution with a 35 millimeter film but it still has this kind of analog uh, texture to it that still makes it feel older, but you've progressed. And then, of course, uh, in 1998, right, you get the, uh, the Alexa and the red, and it's much more digital. And so you can feel yourself coming out of the analog into the digital age as the story progresses and as the technology in the story progresses. And that's one of the better uses of that I've ever seen because that's not a bad thing to do. And whenever you're trying to flash back to a different era, or even if you're shooting a movie in a different era to use film stock in that way, I think that's all fine and accurate and a, a smart way to go about it. But contextually, whenever you're dealing with old technology and then inserting more dated technology, uh, if you want to call it that with film, that's a really cool use of it, and it's uh, more accurate than you usually get out of that technique. One of the things I liked a lot, uh, just real by the by, I think it's in 1988, they, they open up that, that section with the, the title card uh, with Napoleon, which was really fun because uh, it seems to represent, you know, Napoleon was a conqueror, right? And then he got ousted in the same way Steve Jobs was a conqueror. And then he got ousted out of his own company as well, uh, overthrown, if you like. Uh, and that's kind of cool. Also loved in 88, the way they framed in one section, the stupid black cube, uh, the next cube between uh, his daughter and him. And it almost was the way uh, Steve was trying to use it as a barrier between him and his daughter and the way he used work to come between his relationships instead of using them as a method of, you know, growing closer with people you care about. It was always a technique to kind of keep people at a distance. And I felt like very quickly they kind of symbolized that through just the use of the blocking, the, the, the composition of the frame. Uh, and I thought that was kind of cool. As far as camera work goes, all over, right? In the auditorium, breaking the axis, the 180 rule doesn't exist in these spaces. And it makes sense. I mean, part of it is we're getting a view as an audience member. The other part is we're getting insight into uh, the relationships. And there's a lot of relationships kind of popping in and out. And so we're constantly creating new eye lines, right? With Wozniak in the audience. Now we're creating an eye line, uh, 180 line with him. And now whenever there's someone else on stage, so we're all over the place, especially in the auditorium. And I think that's fine. It works pretty well because we already geographically understand that space. Uh, that's one of the main reasons you establish uh, an axis is to help orient the viewer. And whenever you're in an auditorium, that's kind of built in for you already. You don't have to worry about it as strongly whenever people are already familiar with that layout. And there's these very strong visual references to kind of keep you oriented. Uh, and so I think that strong visual reference is Fassbender. Yeah. Is Steve Jobs. As, as long as he's in the shot, it doesn't matter where you cut to, as long as he's still in the shot, you're, you're oriented because he's in every, every shot. That's, that's an 
excellent point, especially if you start factoring in the idea of a reality distortion field that kind of adds this mm -hmm. idea of him being the center of the universe. He's the sun. Right. Uh, and so right. putting him on that stage and then circulating everything around him, like you just said, uh, orients the audience and gives this idea that he is the center of the room, um, mm -hmm. even though he's only on one end of it. <laughs> yeah. It's all rotating around him. I love that they call that thing that out. Yeah, the reality right. distortion, because that's yeah. such a well-known idea about him. Yeah. A lot of Steadicam. I love, and this is classic Aaron Sorkin, like a lot of walk and talk, exploring the space. And it's cool because what I love about it is that they're – they're already in a really amazing space, so why not explore it? Why not use it to the full effect? Let's walk through it. Let's walk through the opera house and actually explore it and see all the beautiful uh, rooms and, you know, whatever, tapestries. And even in some sections, right, they start using it as uh, exposition or, or flashback, flying things onto the wall to kind of, you know, sink in in time with what they're discussing. Like, I love all that stuff, and it plays really well. And, of course, in classic... Uh, Danny Boyle style, a thousand Dutch angles, like every, you know, five minutes, you'll probably every five or 10 minutes, you'll probably get at least one Dutch angle, even even if it's not like super, super tilted. Uh, and by Dutch angle, I just mean that if you were to set a, a, a leveler on the camera, it ain't going to be level <laughs> like he's he's rotating the camera on his axis in some way to kind of make everything off kilter. Uh, like whenever he's threatening Steve, uh, Hertz, Hertzfeld, they have this low angle kind of him dominating Hertz uh, just before he gets into the elevator. And another one is whenever he's teaching Lisa, uh, there's like this close up uh, in the first act whenever she's learning how to use a computer. Like there's all these power plays that they use uh, the Dutch angle for and it's it's fantastic and it, it adds weight, I think, and just visual interest. I think it's just Danny Boyle being Danny Boyle, which is one of the things I love, love, love about this movie is I felt like I got to see what a David Fincher film would look like if Danny Boyle got to shoot it because mm. this was originally supposed to be Fincher. It was supposed to be him and Sorkin tag teaming up again. And late in the project, uh, Fincher pulled off uh, and I'll see if I can find some articles. Uh, I don't think I'm making this up, but it's been so long that I no longer feel hundred percent sure about this. Uh, but I feel pretty confident that he was originally attached to it, getting the team back together, so to speak. Cool. Yeah. And I love that. Uh, because if you consider the social network hit, Fincher's version, you could, you know, kind of back to back these movies and look at Steve Jobs as the Danny Boyle film. And Danny Boyle, for the longest time, has been my favorite director. I think that just recently got up and I finally relented and made Christopher Nolan my, my favorite. Um, About time. Yeah. Welcome to the club. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but I still deeply love Danny Boyle films and yeah. will watch everything he puts out regardless. But I also love, I think lately he's been getting more into uh, projectors, like, inserting projections into scenes like whenever they're uh, right before they go on with scully he's having that conversation mm -hmm. and they start projecting uh bob dylan mm -hmm. lyrics onto the onto the floor and onto the wall and i love that i mean it's something it's new uh he's done it in the last few of his films and i'm like oh that's fun keep playing with that i was that practical they do that practical? i'm pretty sure i i was looking really hard at uh some of the effects and it looked extremely, if not, I feel like they wasted money in post by doing it in post because yeah. uh, it looked too good, especially in the hallway. I was looking at all the reflections with the uh, yeah. rocket launcher kind of coming off, off the wall and the reflections held up perfectly. You know, can I say something about that? Yeah. 
I loved it. Why did they only do it like a couple of times? Like, why didn't they make that? Seriously, I mean, yeah, why didn't they do that more? <laughs> really? Like yeah. there were there were several times where something could have happened where you're just like, oh, cool. It's that kind of movie. But it never was quite that kind of movie because they only did it a couple of times. And it was just like, oh, yeah, remember that projector thing? Let's do that. You know, that's kind of what it felt like instead of like motivated, you know, as like a a part of the style of movie making. Do you know what I mean? It just felt disjointed, even though I loved it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think part of it was probably just focusing on the the relationships, the drama in the relationships. And I felt like that was a moment that wasn't heavily tied to any, like the moment between him and that's Joanna, right? That he's talking to in the hallway. Uh, I felt like, I don't remember what exactly they were talking about. Uh, they were. It was at the next launch, right? Yeah. When they were talking about, yeah, the cube and, and how Apple's going to end up buying next Oh, that's right. Yeah. He was talking about the rocket that they launched. That's right. Yeah. So I just suspect it was because they didn't feel like they would be pulling anything away from uh, the the tension between characters instead. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a fun way to kind of build his visionary kind of idea and the way he's visionary in in the sense of also how he recognizes what came before, which I have. Yeah, I totally get that. Yeah. I totally get that, which is why I was like, man, that would be good whenever... Honestly, like, okay, okay. I'm not trying to say what they should or shouldn't have done, but you know, in, but tell us what in, they sh- should or shouldn't have done. <laughs> well, I'm just saying what I, all I can say is how I would have responded to the explanation of all of all these things that I mentioned having a problem with mm. is make it a little, I mean, for lack of a better term, campy with the projections while that's happening. Right. If you're going to explain to me, show me a picture too, you know, like, because I'm having to explain this, here's a picture of it as well. Mm. I'm having to explain this in the hallway. Here's a picture of the rocket. I'm having to, you know, uh, say these really important words, Bob Dylan, here's some words of Bob Dylan. Cause they're very important. Like I get it. Okay. Yeah. I, I understand. Okay, cool. We're making it a thing. It's a, it's a, you know, you know what mm. I mean? It's not a, here's some information because I, I think that you need this information, which we, which most people I think did. It's a, it's a, here's a piece of eye candy along with this to digest it, uh, either better or, um, in a more interesting way that would have just been nice. Okay. No, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. The, the music I thought was fun. I didn't have anything for the third chapter, but, uh, the first chapter I loved that the music kind of started inserting these Mac like startup sounds into the, into the soundtrack. Like it's very subtle, but you can kind of hear it like warming up and, and it's perfect for the beginning of a movie because those sounds largely did come out of the, the boot up sequence from Max, um, especially early on. I don't know if they still make that noise or not. Um, I assume, but I, I don't reboot my Mac almost ever. So They do nice. I do mine every morning. Yeah, and so I love that that you know little touch flare in the in the music. And then in 1988, they switched it again uh, because they're in the San Francisco Opera House. Everything was far more symphonic, and it felt you know location uh, specific. And uh, I love that too. Like in 98, it felt a little more ethereal with uh, whoever that band was. I feel like it's probably going to be someone super obvious, but it sounded like the National or something. Yeah. That wouldn't surprise me. That's that's a really good call. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're looking it up. 
Yeah, I'll look it up. Cool. Um, but yeah, it, we don't get a ton of symphony these days in movies. And so I appreciated that, you know, they were using an orchestra and like really kind of tying in the, the, the location with it. And it's, it just sounded great. It really added a lot, I feel like, to the, uh, to the scenes and to the era so that you, you in every single way, visually and, you know, sonically, you feel like you're in a different time period and a different stage of uh, Steve's existence. Did you find it? It looks like it's interesting. We'll link it oh, in the yeah. show notes. Yeah. Maccabees. Yeah. That's hilarious. Well, well done, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all. Yeah. Nice. So dipping into story and writing on first blush, whenever I heard about this film and that it's going to take place backstage at, you know, the, the product launches, I always have this issue whenever I hear these ideas, I'm like, that's going to be boring. I don't want to like, what can you possibly accomplish in that? And being Sorkin, it was all, you know, interrelational. And so creating dramatic stakes in a movie about technology, you know, social network, like it's hard to fathom that as an audience, audience member walking in because you're so thinking about the technology and you kind of get surprised with the relationships and all those dynamics. And that's his strongest era area of writing which is conflict and uh, creating characters that have stakes in the game um, and expressing that and getting it across to the audience and giving everyone uh, an opportunity to kind of feel the tension those are hard things to do and it's every scene you know creates that and has that uh, all the dynamics that run through each chapter uh, the father right Steve as a dad and his illegitimate daughter right Everybody in these uh, stakes, and that's that's a hard thing to create, is people need to want something. If this person wants something, what does the other person want? And that gives you an area for, for conflict. And in, uh, the, the father and daughter, the daughter and mom want recognition, specifically the mom. The daughter doesn't even know she, she needs it uh, for quite some time. She just feels rejected and, and you know, crapped on, uh, especially with the whole idea of the Lisa computer system or technology, whatever the hell that was. And... Chris Ann, my notes are terrible. I got trapped in uh, working on my own technology for the podcast. <laughs> but I also love that uh, Chris Ann is a great simple expositional element in certain certain scenes, especially early on, uh, to identify people. I love like the first time we see Waz, uh, Chris Ann is right there, and she's like, "Hey, Waz," uh, and that kind of gives us an easy, you know, okay, that's Wozniak, and uh, anyone who's even vaguely familiar with Jobs and Waz uh, already knows who he is and uh, what he represents to some degree, which of course gets fleshed out through their own conflict. But it also, what I love about that is it not only does that, but it also validates her relationship with Steve Jobs. She's not some random person off the street that's saying this is this is your daughter. She was clearly someone that was in the loop and knew all his friends. And so it by just having these little casual encounters with people around him, we're getting the feeling that he made this jab at her in an article about, yeah, I there could be 28% of American guys that could be the father. Well, no, because all those other people, she doesn't, she was clearly a part of your clique, whether you like it or not. Um, and that's just kind of communicating to us, the audience in a very sly way that she was a part of everything and a part of his world and his life, not just some fly by night stranger. In 1998, in the hallway with the daughter, uh, the conflict with the daughter, I love that 
there's two different versions of Steve Jobs whenever at he... At the w- end, you mean? Yeah, at like the end. She, okay. Because this is right after his conflict with Waz in the auditorium, right? And he commands everybody to stay. He's like, no, nobody move. And he's just going to dress down Wozniak in front of everybody, even as he's saying that he's got his back and he gets a pass. He's going to make sure everyone's clear on who's the upper hand, who's the big dad, and who's the son here. But then you fast forward, whatever, five, ten minutes, and he's in the hallway with his daughter, and he's agitated with everybody listening in because this is his embarrassment. This is the thing he got wrong. And he kind of yells at everybody, Does everyone have an opinion here? <laughs> like, he is so embarrassed and uh, ashamed of uh, himself at the end of the day. And that's this strange little way of, uh, of humanizing him and him acknowledging his own uh, mistakes uh, in a very odd way. And also love that, you know, she reads that 1984 article uh, and is outraged. And what I love about that is that... Steve Jobs, the man who envisions the future, couldn't foresee his daughter coming across this article. <laughs> if he had an ounce of foresight in him, uh, interrelationally, he he can only see in terms of tech. He can't see the future in terms of relationships. And he's, you know, lightly exposed in that way right there and right then because he has to come to terms with uh, his own comments and the way he's treated his daughter uh, up until that point. And that's a really beautiful moment. I love that his daughter is so much like him because she has no problem calling him out uh, and calling him to the mat. That's really cool. Um, And just kind of builds on again the idea that, yeah, that's your daughter, bro. (laughs) She is like you in every way, Uh, except in maybe the most important, which goes back to Waz saying that uh, she has no reason to be kind or that's Hertzfeld. He's he's like, she has every reason to be a terrible human being, but she's not. She beat mm-hmm. all the odds and she's an amazing person. And speaking of Hertzfeld, uh, he has the, the conflict between these two guys, especially early on, is Steve Jobs wants the box to work and Hertzfeld is like, I can't get it to work. Uh, and so they are in a conflict already with what he wants. And of course, he threatens him with public humiliation if Andy doesn't fix the Mac and, you know, which is to make it say hello in that opening uh, sequence. And yet we fast forward, Andy pays Lisa's tuition, which infuriates Steve. And it felt like, likewise, this was a potential public humiliation that Hertzfeld put on Steve Jobs uh, to get him to do what he wanted to do as well. So it felt like uh, Hertzfeld kind of lobbed the same grenade that Jobs did. And uh, it's very subtle in, you know, in the, in the background there if you want to recognize it basically Mm -hmm. and i love kind of how their whole uh, dynamic ends which is that you know what sucks steve is that i really liked you and steve is like yeah you know what i liked you too that does suck you know it's like if if steve just would stop being a prick for one minute his his ring of friends would have been much greater is the is you know the suspicion behind all that even with Wozniak, like the, the dynamic there is Woz wants recognition for the Apple II. And of course, Steve doesn't want to give it because then he would have to admit that someone else at Apple was responsible for it becoming a mega success because the Apple II paid their bills and kept them floating while Steve was, you know, failing. And mm-hmm. that's a very simple, you know, tug of war going on between the two of them that lasts and has a variety of opinions because they're 
to a large extent, they're both right. Waz is right. This kept it going. And then Steve was right. He's like, you held on too long. You almost destroyed the company trying to hold on to something. And they both have their points. And of course, Waz gets the best last word when he's like, yeah, you can, you don't have to be an asshole in order to get what you want. Uh, as we've said, probably seven or eight times by now. <laughs> but then he, but then he, what does he say? He says something after that. Um, he says, stop. Job says something after that. So he can't even let Waz get the last word. Like Waz says they're not mutually exclusive or something, right? You can you can be a decent person and you can create things and be a decent person. I don't think he I think he gets I think Waz gets it. I'm gonna play it right now. Yeah, play it, play it, play it. Yeah, brother. And knowing that, that's the difference. It's not binary. You can be decent and gifted at the same time. Got him. Well done, Waz. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> Finally. But right before yeah. that, he had lobbed that other grenade. Yeah. Uh, I was like, that's the difference between us. Um, blah, blah, blah. Oh, right. Yeah. And so in the flashbacks when they were in the garage with Waz, I love that framing wise, Waz usually occupies the edges of the frame, whereas mm -hmm. Steve is usually more, you know, in the middle, uh, just going back to that uh, reality distortion field of uh, who's most important and uh, Waz is always on the on the on the edge and never you know the focus. He never gets the spotlight. It's always about what Steve wants. Even though Waz got what he wanted in that instance, there was just so much more push from Steve and the way he treated them. And uh, yeah, framing. That's just. I have a question for you. I have a question for you. Who do you think is more important, the maker or the idea man? I mean. Uh, it's okay. There's okay. Let me also preface it with there's not a wrong answer. Right, right. Right. Uh, it's it's just an opinion, and I'm not gonna attack you if I don't agree. Like yeah. I I think it depends on the the situation. If we're talking about them specifically between uh, Steve and Waz, then I would probably lean towards Steve. I feel like he probably could have found someone else that was technically gifted. Now, maybe he wouldn't have ended up being successful, but I don't think Waz would have been long-term successful either. Or maybe so. Maybe he would have built something much, much greater without uh, Steve. But mm -hmm. generally speaking, I, yeah, I don't know. Is the recipe more important than the baker? I, 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 I don't know. I don't think so. I think, yeah, I don't, it's, that's, that's really hard. I don't, I, honestly, I don't have an answer just because I feel Maybe I just don't have the big enough ego that I think everyone contributes. You know, it's not a zero sum game. I think everyone is adding something to the pot and mm -hmm. you need a director just like you need, you know, an actor. It's mm -hmm. it's going to get pretty boring pretty fast if, you know, one person is doing everything. What do you what do unless you you're, unless you're the one person? <laughs> <laughs> it's made for you by you. <laughs> it's, yeah, right, 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 right. Uh, or not even by you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I. I think Steve is the most important, hands down. You can find a hundred other Steve Wozniaks uh, out there, but there's only one Steve Jobs. Wozniak isn't going to think of the iPod, isn't going to think of the tiny little, like, oh my God. <laughs> the way that Jobs leaves Scully when he tells him why uh, that what was the thing they, that Apple released? 
while he was gone with the stylus. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, I already can't the, remember. The, the, the tells Palm him why. Pilot wannabe. Yes, yes. It's because of the stylus, because you can't use any of the other fingers on that hand. The things we could have done. That is, oh my God, that is, uh, that is Sorkin at his best. It is so <laughs> poignant to the point and vicious and heartbreaking and yet and heartbreaking and true heartbreaking that moment i like i felt so so much for scully i was like dude you're over you're done man you effed it up you know you had this guy who was one of greatest creative you know like uh, uh designing minds of our time that looked up to you he looked up to him. He sought Scully out. Father he figure. went, he pulled him from Pepsi to Apple. He was, he looked up to him like a father figure and, and you, you undermined everything that he stood for. It's your fault, man. You're out, you're done. And I'm going to, I'm going to cross the T and I'm going to dot the I right now in, in two sentences. Boom. There you go. It's beautiful writing, beautiful acting. I just, it was amazing. But that, that is the difference between jobs and Wozniak. It's like you can have a thousand guys who know how to code a thousand other people who know how to design, you know, and you just need to find them. Right. But if you don't have the idea to build, then you're just building and everybody just builds. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, how, that's, that's what Google is. That's what Microsoft is. They, they build yeah. things, but they don't really have a strong concept of design and way, the way that uh, people want to interact with things. Um, yeah. And that comes from a completely different perspective because, yeah, I think, I think you're right. I mean, he's probably, he is the most important you know, person in their dynamic. And maybe Wozniak could have built another IBM, um, but at the end of the day, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been Apple it wouldn't yeah, have changed no. the world the way, you know, it, it has been. And it, it always, it also amuses me, you know, watching something like this and just ruminating on how maniacal jobs was about control. And it's reflected in the way, you know, you can't upgrade stuff in laptops anymore. And, you know, you can't install the Mac OS on any other hardware. It's, all control it's all closed system and uh yeah. for me that's super frustrating whenever you know lately they've just been going downhill with their they need a little bit more wozniak right now because yeah i yeah i could get into a major rant because i love like i was a pc guy before i got my first mac macbook that you hooked me up with and Ever since then, I was like, oh, this is so much better. Uh, and now I'm afraid to buy a new MacBook because of a thousand different issues that I have with it um, and their, <laughs> yeah. their approach. But also speaking about how, you know, he left Scully. I also love when Waz leaves in their argument. He leaves and everyone else leaves. Like the auditorium starts, you know, going away. Everyone's uh, filing out and it makes you feel like no one wants to be Steve's friend. And I feel like that was very deliberate with the blocking of that scene just to kind of emphasize like, yeah, he's an asshole. I don't want to be here right now because God knows what yeah. he's going to do now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. the pain. I don't want to be the next one on his list no. to talk to. No. <laughs> All right. Oh, uh, yeah. And yeah. Anyway, so 
last couple notes here. Uh, there's always a lot of rhythm going on in the in these you know sequences, and especially as they're coming to a, a crescendo, a peak. Uh, like there's a lot of music and you know editing momentum. If you look at the uh, the section with the elevator at the beginning, and he's threatening Hertzfeld, and he you know puts the gun to his head, and he's like, "I'm, I'll pull the trigger, buddy." And as the elevator closes everything kind of slows back down. We kind of regain our breath. Uh, the camera moves slow down, the edits slow down, the music itself, the dialogue slows down, all the blocking. They really give you a second to kind of breathe before we enter the next uh, uh, shitty scenario. And it, it to me, it all kind of goes back to the idea. And uh, this setting on its own with all the relationships could have easily have taken place in, a, in one room. Like there's no reason you had to go through all these places. And that was just all for visual interest and, uh, you know, to help tell the story. But because all the conflicts, all the drama was interrelational, like you could have had this in a single room and it still retained a lot of punch and a lot of interesting, like you could have performed this on a stage as a play, you know, and it would have worked really, really well um, mm -hmm. because all the character drama was right there. And to me, that's really effective writing whenever you can take an event like this and figure out how to make three jumps in time, you know, effective and still create uh, story arcs and make me want to see what happens next. What is he going to say next? What stupid and considerate thing is house. I mean, Steve Jobs uh, going to say, you know, next. And you kind of look forward to him being inconsiderate and being an asshole in, in some aspects because it's creative. Like he's never going to insult you by just calling you dumb. He's going to do it in a way that highlights how dumb you are. <laughs> like it's, yeah, yeah, it's perfect. Uh, and that's, uh, that's the credit to uh, not just Steve Jobs as a great, intelligent character to write for, but also the the method that, you know, Aaron Sorkin does a really great job of enhancing <laughs> as yeah. a writer. And, uh, you know, going back to your, your comment earlier, like the ending, I really love that we spend a lot of time in that final emotional moment. You got to give people the sense of finality because if you end that, you know, in, in 15, 20 seconds, uh, it's going to feel weird and uh, just kind of shortchanged. Instead, we kind of explore the room of the people that he left behind. I feel like that's what I'm getting more out of everything. Anything else mm -hmm. It's not just that he's a good guy, but that he left an impression with very specific people in his life and that, you know, they're still here. They're still around. And it's just a good moment to kind of, you know, reminisce or ruminate on all the people uh, that we've got to know and understand and how they're kind of uh, being left through his absence because obviously the the final moment is him walking out of focus um, and that's kind of representing that he's no longer here of course mm -hmm. last notes with the writing specifically Sorkin loves writing multiple dialogue threads at once like often with the same person, like he's often creating two different threads of thought with the same person here. I it's it's still pretty strong, um, but because every character, most characters, I should say, have their own thread. He doesn't have to do that a lot uh, in this film, because normally uh, in this film, he's creating all these multiple threads going at once through different people, but he still manages to kind of have you aiming at two different things to add, you know, uh, confusion on purpose to the characters. Like we, as the audience generally know what he's talking about, but it, it, it 
adds confusion and in a way kind of highlights how much smarter he is than everyone else. The ability to kind of carry on two conversations and aim at two different things at once. And sometimes even, you know, in a dickish way, whenever like he's with his daughter and he's trying to tell her, you know, you got to go to school. And he's like, right now, she's like, yeah, well, okay. The things I like about the song is like, no, not, I didn't mean the song. I meant like, you got to go to school right Mm -hmm. now. And it's, it's it's a it's a double punch just because we kind of dislike him for being so rude and and condescending to his daughter. Uh, but at, and at the same time, we love her for having so much uh, creative insight into art, um, into music, into being this already so young, being thoughtful of things like regretful. And, you know, that's such a deep emotional well for whatever a nine year old, uh, to be, to be walking around with, uh, that it makes you adore her and resent him all the more for not, uh, being a stand up human being. But yeah, that's, that's all I got. <laughs> well, he's also so oblivious, uh, like about, about her, you know, in that scene in particular, she says, yeah, it's an old song. And then she quotes it and he's, or tells him what it's about. He's like, it's a Joni Mitchell song. It's not old unless you're calling me old. You're old, man. Yeah. She's nine. You're f-ing old. Sorry about it. You know, like I don't, <laughs> if my, if my son listened to, you know, I don't even know you too, you know, which, and he says it's, it's, it's old. I'm like, yeah, it's old. It was, <laughs> came out and. 88 it's old uh but he's seven so like anything that is from before he was born is old like you know what are you gonna do so yeah he's oblivious about so many things one thing like that's obvious too well okay the interaction with was in the the last interaction with was bothered me not not that it was bad or that it was written poorly or anything it was everything about it was fantastic so Waz gets the last literal word, but not really. Right, because I mean, he's still going to go on stage and not give credit where it's due. Right. And Steve just keeps going. Hmm. Like he's almost unfazed after it. It's, And yet he goes backstage with Chris Ann and she, with a few words, tears him apart. Tears him down to his studs. The only other person in this film that does that with Chris or, Ann, or you mean Joanna Chris Ann was his uh, yeah sorry ex. sorry okay. yeah yeah Joanna sorry the only other person that can do that that's that was able to do that or at least said that she had ever done that was uh was Joanna do you know who I'm, who I'm talking about yeah when he's backstage with his daughter and she says that she read the thing right the, right the, the article. article yeah right she breaks him down. and all of us and all of a sudden He's not his normal self. He's this other, he's like, he's embarrassed. Like you mentioned, he doesn't want people around. Uh, he feels bad. He wishes that probably some part of him wishes that he hadn't said it because he didn't want to make her feel bad. Like, you know, she's the only person who like actually made him into a normal human. And I think that Joanna is the only other person too. And those are the only two people that he ever says that he loves. He doesn't ever actually say that he loves his daughter, but you you know that he does because he has the the her drawing at the at the end and the, he treats her kindly, yeah. right? He's the only the, the only other person that he loved was, was what's his name was Scully. Oh, uh, Scully, yeah. 
with Scully. He didn't. He never loved Waz. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Never loved Waz. The whole thing about like you never had when Waz, Waz said you never respect me. He said, well, you didn't have respect for me. No, he never respected Waz. Not from the very beginning. He knew he could find a hundred other Wazes out there. He knew he was more important, quote unquote, than Waz. Um, and that's why he doesn't he didn't respect him. But he never loved Waz, man. He loved his daughter. He loved Scully before Scully stabbed him in the back and he loved Joanna and he even said it. He's like, why haven't we slept together? Cause we don't love, she says she was the one that says, cause we don't, we're not in love. Okay. Why do you write that? Yeah. If that's not a thing. Right. Right. There's she's, Oh, and she even says I'm your work wife at one point in the film. So there's a relationship there that is important to him. And even with the thing, even with the comment that he makes to Scully about, about messing with Waz and stuff, like even that, there's just like this air of like, I'm, I'm going to take care of them. And I want you to know that I am going to take care of them. Hmm. There's like this air of like, it reminds me of, of like, like doing things for other people because of religion, right? Because I'm a Christian. And so I'm going to be nice to other people because I'm, well, you should be nice to other people because it's the thing you should do. You should be nice to other people for nothing. But that's not the way that I feel when he says, when he defends Waz to Scully. I feel like he's doing it because he wants to flex to Scully mm. to show Scully that he's, look, I, I'm going to take care of him. I, and the same reason why he was going to mail the check for his daughters, you know, I don't know because whenever that. he, he, he flexes with Scully about was, it really wasn't going to, I felt like it was because he was, uh, he didn't like, he knows was as he was, is fairly easy to manipulate from his point of view. Um, and he felt like he was being manipulated. And I think he just, gen, my impression, the way I felt about that was, uh, he genuinely did not like someone manipulating him. Maybe because that's my totally. toy and I don't want someone else playing with my toys, but, <laughs> but, yes. but I, I yes. definitely I'm talking took about the offense. character, not the writing. Sure. You know? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Fair I get the writing hundred percent. I'm talking about him as a person, mm. you know, yeah. like jobs as a person that portrayal to me, the writing did what it needed to do. It's fantastic. Uh, that whole scene with Scully, there's not a, a word incorrect. It, like, you know, like it's fantastic. I say incorrect. There's not a word that could have been better. Let's say it, it was just like every, the whole picture that he, he's been painting of jobs up until that point makes me think like, he's just saying that cause he, he doesn't want Scully. He, yes. He doesn't want Scully to mess with Waz, but mostly to mess with Waz, to mess with jobs. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's almost like you can mess with Waz. Just don't make mess with him so that he messes with me. <laughs> like that's kind of what I get from yeah. the character that's been portrayed. You yeah. know, it's like, Oh, what a jerk, man. What a jerk. Whoa. Um, but you know, like, listen, with all that said, I still enjoyed the film. Yeah. I thought it was really well made. I thought it was well written. Yeah. And, and, and I enjoyed it and I would watch it again, even, yeah. you know, like, which is saying a lot for a film that I, it seems like I'm tearing down, but I think it only seems like that because you disagree with me. Right. True. True. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah I think that in a lot of, in a lot of, a lot of times on these episodes, we agree because yeah. we have very similar tastes in films. And so 
it's like, oh, you didn't like it? Oh, I didn't like it. Okay, yeah. cool. What do you want to talk about? Um, but in this case, it's like, yeah, oh, that's really, no. That is fun. I mean, it's interesting because if we do have two different perspectives on it, uh, and I think, you know, people will probably appreciate that. Um, yeah. Kind of like, uh, I mean... I don't want to, you know, say end game, but people could go back and listen to that one and get, you know, some, yeah. some similar spice. Uh, hundred oh, percent. But yeah. with that in mind, what would you give it? Okay. With that in mind, I'm going to give it out of 10 generous seven. I figured that's where you were. Yeah. A generous, generous seven. If I was, if I had a worse day, I'd probably give it a six, mm-hmm. but I've had a good day. So seven. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I'm at an eight. Like for me, this is a four out of five star. And I think the thing that frustrates me the most about this movie is that it didn't do well. Uh, And it doesn't make complete sense to me why it didn't do well. Uh, If you think about the social network and the phenomenon that that was, and maybe it's just fatigue on Steve Jobs. I don't know, but, or maybe it's just a bad title. Maybe they should have called this, you know, the Thunderbird of computers or something. I don't know. But this has all the ingredients for being a successful, uh, movie. Like, uh, it's written by Aaron Sorkin. Uh, it's directed by, you know, Danny Boyle. Uh, it's got an incredible cast. Uh, it's taking on an incredible personality. Like all the ingredients are there. Uh, the performances are all knocked out. Like there's, I don't really have any strong complaints other than I find it interesting that it just didn't do well in uh, in any capacity in terms of box office. I don't know, maybe that other Steve Jobs movie, uh, what was it, I Jobs with Ashton Kutcher? I didn't watch it, mm-hmm. um, but maybe that kind of stole its thunder ahead of time. I don't know, yeah. but I find it interesting that it just did not do well uh, for a movie that is really well well done um, and capitalizes on you know an interesting hook uh because to me this kind of combines uh slumdog millionaire with the social network like they found a a a hook uh in order to kind of keep you glued or give us a reason to you know go through all these alleys and and uh side rooms uh while also making it you know character-based uh compulsion you know momentum yeah well so okay Let's just break that down for just a second. I know this is getting to be a long episode, but let's just let's think about that. I mean, if we're talking about, you know, analyzing movies, why not? That's OK. So, I mean, to, to me, it doesn't feel like the social network at all. It feels like a completely different. Sure. Kind of story, I mean, they're right? different. uh they're different stories and they're different uh, styles and not, in, not just in terms of directing, yeah, yeah. but in terms of the chronology of it and uh, the path that yeah. these characters, cause Steve's jobs is already Steve jobs. When we meet him, right. He's got like $400 yeah, million dollars in his bank. And that's, um, that's why. Yeah. Ah, that's why. Fair. Yeah. We'd you love cannot, to see a success story. You can identify with uh, Zuckerberg who's done nothing who has, who is this nobody cares or likes guy. I mean, the, the first scene in the movie tells you nobody likes this guy, right? Like, and he is nothing and he is no one and, and wants to be, but isn't like there is completely opposite from this jobs is already who he is in this film. And he is the entire time, even in the flashbacks, he always is. So it's a, it's a, what is, what is it? A biopic? Yeah. Biopic. Is that what they call it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and 
social network is nothing like that. It is about Facebook. It is a, where it came from. And no, that's, that's a really yeah. great point though. I think people really love to see something be created from nothing. They like yes. to see that process of development and progress and uh, climbing the mountain. They want to see you climb the mountain. They don't want to start the movie with you sitting on top of it and then climbing the next mountain um, yeah. or scaling laterally. Like because that's why the most that's why one of my favorite parts uh, is like or all my favorite parts are like where they're either flashing where they're flashing back, but like in the garage. I love that. I get like out of that yeah. space, you know, like get me out of the space. It's driving me crazy. Or when they're, you know, when he's wooing Scully at dinner, like that's a beautiful, those are beautiful shots when he has the longer hair, you know, yeah. the longer hair, Steve jobs. But even then who was Steve jobs before the garage? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like when we hear stories about him, him being adopted and stuff like I'm just hearing words from him. Like, I want to feel that, you know, I can see this. Becoming, I mean, obviously those, those were yeah. very strong scenes. So I can see this becoming like a, a genius season four or something that the TV show that mm. kind of, yeah, yeah. you know, anth anthology that every season tackles a new person. They've done Picasso and Einstein and this would fit right in really well. If we, like you're saying, kind of go back and discover his roots and uh, why he became who he was. Uh, that would be yeah. a really strong uh, series as well. Um, yeah. But I agree with you too. Like I love the use of flashbacks because it does get us out of that space and it does give us an opportunity to uh, scale the world up instead of feeling, you know, boxed in, we add a lot of dimension and scale to the universe when we get to see them younger with the long hair and trying to figure stuff out in the garage, literally. Uh, and then uh, the, the boardroom. And I love that boardroom scene. If for no other reason, it's so yeah. moody in there, man. Oh, like, I thought the same thing with the so rain and good. everything. Just like dark. Dark. Like, and you feel, and I think as an audience member, we also probably kind of enjoy the idea that they're sitting in a room like a bunch of villains, like yeah. <laughs> these boring oh, yeah. sex. Like I love that, you know, it's it, it's very satisfying because something evil is taking place as he's getting ousted. Um, and mm -hmm. yeah, it, atmospherically it's it's beautiful and visually it's beautiful too. With that weird, uh, like the, they, they managed to blast the water creeping down the, the, the window onto the ceiling. Um, it's just freaking gorgeous in there. But, you know, it's funny is when we, we did the social network uh, episode 10 and you recommended Steve Jobs. Did I really? Yes. No way. I just sucked it up. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. Well done. <laughs> And yeah, I probably man. said the exact same thing. Like, probably, uh, yeah. If you want to see what a Danny Boyle uh, uh, Fincher film directed by Danny Boyle, then go watch Steve mm -hmm. Jobs. That's probably exactly yeah, right. what I said. It's probably exactly what you said. Let's go. <laughs> let's go listen to it. Maybe we are computers. <laughs> same inputs, same outputs. Somebody in the comments, tell us if we did that or not. <laughs> if 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 Wes said that when he recommended Steve Jobs in episode ten. So what are you going to recommend this week? Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, staying on the, the theme of greatness, I'm going to recommend The Last Dance. Uh, it's nice. on Netflix. A uh, story of Jordan and – well, basically the last season that Jordan and Pippen and, and all of those guys were, were uh, part of the Bulls. One of the greatest se seasons of all time. So, yeah. Nice. It's fantastic. It's unbelievable. And, you know, like a lot of times, you know, you watch these kinds of things and you're just like, oh, yeah, that oh, I didn't know that or whatever. But I, the whole time I'm just like, oh, I hadn't 
I did not know that, you know, like, wow, that makes so much sense now, you know, like thinking back to those, to those years, those, you know, final years with, uh, with all of those guys together and like, you know, like the weirdness and all that stuff is just really eye opening. It's really well done. So nice. Yeah. Maybe I'll cue that up. Finally, I've been putting it off for whatever reason. Oh, you would, Wes, you would, would it love it. I mean, yeah. Cause you love basketball yeah. so much and I'm not sure if you're a fan of, I know that you love the Spurs. Uh, I'm not sure if you're a fan of the bulls, but I mean the bulls in that, those years, great. can't not be man. For Just sure. The, the greatest players of all time. Nice. I am going to recommend if you enjoy like Steve Jobs, social network, and uh, just some of these ideas of watching someone build a tech technological and innovating and uh, company, I would highly recommend, and I put you on this a while back, uh, Halt and Catch Fire. Oh, yes. It's the yes, perfect man, analog well to this. It's incredible. We, have we not recommended that yet? No, I've oh checked like gosh. several times because I'm like, I can't believe <laughs> we haven't sure. recommended this yet. Um, okay. It's absolutely excellent. Um, yes. Incredible cast. The story is great. You're, yeah, I, if, but you also have to enjoy attention to some degree because like, they're going to put you yeah. on edge constantly uh but yeah. if you like steve jobs and you don't mind characters to hate uh you will really really because i hate everybody in halt and catch fire like i don't think there's anybody i love no they're all yeah they're all kind of assholes but that's what makes it so compelling is yeah yeah go watch it, it i think it's streaming on netflix at the moment oh it is oh, yeah man, i know i kind of want to rewatch it i know i know i can't do it i can't it's I can't a lot do that again it's a lot yeah it's a lot but it's so it's so, so worth it man great um, great suggestion so stay tuned next week we're gonna take on casino royale the uh daniel yeah. craig the first film in james bond's uh run with daniel craig so uh go watch that time will fly by and don't forget to subscribe and review us on itunes if you want to leave us a review saying hey why don't you cover xyz then you can do that uh if you want to comment on this episode you can do that at the pestlepodcast.com slash steve jobs and don't forget yeah seriously leave us a review and we have one more uh, uh request coming down the pipe that uh, i've been putting off but we're going to get to it uh at some point we're going to do miami vice in the near future uh the the michael mann film mm. because uh one of our youtuber listeners uh requested it and so uh we'll get we'll Sweet. get to that and i'll also write down your freaking name sorry bro i i forgot to write down your name whenever i was making my notes um and also want to give a shout out to to my man izzy as he's uh back on back online and in terms of uh commenting he dropped us a note on our last episode so uh sweet appreciate you bro Atta boy i like it i like hearing that yeah tell us why yeah leave us a comment tell us why tell me why i'm wrong about <laughs> all the things that i'm saying uh, we'll leave you with a quote of the day from bob dylan i define nothing not beauty not patriotism i take each thing as it is without prior rules about what it should be I that's really that that's really interesting. That's really freeing, I think. And, and like eye opening. I mean, if you, if you look at something without prior reservations, one, that's very hard to do. You look, you know, you, you look at a thing and you're like, that's that thing. But to be able to say that is a thing and it is neither good nor bad. It is this thing is, it's not easy to do. I mean, most of the time we have our preconceived notions. So if you can actually do that, then you are more woke than most, I will say. Yeah. 
I, but it's also it's also yeah, probably why someone like Steve Jobs is, was so brilliant. You know, like to be able to see to be able to see the iPod before anyone else saw that. You know, and or to be able to to see the iPhone and the way it should work. You know, because there's a reason why, you know, an iPhone is an iPhone and every other phone is not right. And whatever that reason is, is the brilliance of of what Jobs saw as this thing, you know, as as a cell phone. There were cell phones all over the place, but it's this it's this thing. I'm going to have no, you know, forget about what a phone is. I'm going to show you what a phone is now completely you know, reimagined like, it. Yeah. 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 No, it's, that's interesting because without expectations, there's no disappointment. And I feel like, uh, Bob Dylan was getting to a very Zen state of mind there where, you know, I'm not trying to dictate to others what that should be. I'm not going to tell you what beauty is. I'm not going to tell you what patriotism patriotism is. Uh, I'm going to let a thing be a thing. And like you were just saying, and that's a really interesting because I didn't think of that in terms of uh, the way you see it with Steve Jobs, his ability to kind of uh, redefine things and uh, reimagine things. Because I thought of it in the sense of Steve Jobs seemed incapable of creating expectations for things like he always brought his own definitions to a thing um, and almost refused to let other people define it for him. Uh, he was so commanding and controlling in that aspect. Uh, and that probably fueled a lot of his fire, not just, you know, creatively, but uh, whenever you think of the, the tyrant, uh, the ty- tyrannical version of him that we, we see and we imagine uh, that comes out of people not meeting his expectations of what he thinks something should be. And, I'm glad I was never on the wrong side of that. Oh man. It just sounds sure. uh, like the worst. It also sounds, I don't know. I don't know what it was like to be in his good graces. I've always heard the, that, you know, in the, in the eyes of a sociopath or a narcissist, like there's nothing better than being in their good graces. You feel so good. And we never really get that sense in this film, you know, from these perspectives of what it meant and what it felt like to be liked by Steve, to have a good moment with him, or if he just took it for himself. Um, I have my suspicions, but, uh, I have no frame of reference, I guess. Well, if you, you know, if you, if you can't breathe, the best breath is the the next one, right? It's like, <laughs> it doesn't, it, it doesn't matter if he's a, if he's always an asshole, just one moment of him not being an asshole is like the best thing in the world, but that's still shitty. Right. Yeah. It's like, it's still terrible feeling, you know, but I don't know. I, I, this is amazing. Like Steve jobs. I think it's very fitting that we've been so back and forth about Steve jobs, just because, uh, if any, if there's a a lightning, you know, whatever that, freaking phrases if there's a flashpoint of a human being steve jobs is you know ripe to play that part um and it makes sense why we would spend almost a, a over an hour and 40 minutes discussing him <laughs> like yeah he would love yeah. to be still you know talked about and remembered and um yeah <laughs> like there's still and there's there is still so much about this film that i love in terms of performances like michael stolberg as andy hertzfeld did an incredible job oh of aging his gosh. character like you see him oh, walk yeah. in at the end and he's kind of hunched over and uh you feel like this is a tech 
genius. This is someone yeah. who is very authentically uh, a tech nerd, and he's got the backpack, and he's got this kind of uh, you know campy walk, uh, and it just absolutely tethers you to that universe and and, yep. and grounding it. Um, yeah, I. I don't know. I just, well, I mean, your quote made me think about of Steve because it says, I take each thing as it is without prior rules about oh, what it should be. Oh yeah. yeah which yeah. To- immediately made me think of a phone, Yeah, which our phones looked nothing like this, uh, 12 years ago. There you go. You know, it, they were, they were bricks, you know, they had buttons that you pushed that made clicking sounds. I, you know, you had to hit a button three times to get an L like, you know, like, so yes, he reinvented that, but he, it's not just about reinventing it into a new thing. It's about reinventing the way that you interact with that thing, everything about it from, from not just from like why it exists, but why it exists for you in particular Hmm. and how you, how you do what you do. And I love that they brought up in the movie, they brought up the analogy of the bicycle and the condor, uh, about the bicycle though. This one thing takes humans from the, the most inefficient creatures on earth to the most efficient creatures on earth. This one thing and it's mechanical and that we invented. So if you, and it's physical to so convince something mechanical for the mind, all of a sudden I can sit down in the morning, write a piece of music without touching an instrument on my computer That's amazing. and then put it online and everyone can listen to it. Now, nobody ever does, but the point is, is that you can do that now. And you know, the idea of that happening 30 or 40 years ago, was just like, no way. You know, like, what is that? That's no. So, it takes people. And I think the reason why we talk about, we have these kinds of discussions and like, you know, when we talk about films like whiplash or films like, like Steve jobs is, you know, talk about these divisive people that change things, right? I mean, it's hard to change things if you're just nice to people. I'm not saying that you can't look at Walt Disney. I mean, but Disney had his stuff like, yeah, he was, he has a skeleton work for too. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, look at, okay, look at, uh, um, uh, Mr. Rogers, great example of a dude who changed the world in ways that we couldn't even imagine by changing children's lives, by being loving and kind all the time. And that was his thing. So, uh, you know, I'm sitting here making arguments for both sides, yeah. but it's just really an interesting, it's an interesting dichotomy of a conversation to say, to say, you know, this, Yeah this guy changed the world, but he was an asshole. Yeah, he was an asshole, but he changed the world. You know, like, I don't know what is more. Would you, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's an easy question to answer of, would you rather have a world with or without Steve Jobs in it? And obviously because I, because I didn't know him. Right. But if I was his daughter, you know, like he was kind Uh, of a dick, but at the same time I'm born, I'm alive. Yeah. Thanks, Dad. And I have millions of dollars now. I'm sure, probably, maybe not. I don't. Know, who knows? Or was like, yes. I think even the people that hated him probably loved that he existed for sure. You know. But I think the bigger question is like, do you have? Do those guys have to be that way? 
to get those kinds of things done? Hmm. Did Steve Jobs have to be that way to get all that stuff done? I mean, maybe in some circumstances, yeah. Maybe in, in some not, whom I don't know those circumstances. I'm not pretending to know. Yeah. But it's just a, it's a very interesting conversation that I could keep talking about because and debating about, you know, like, I mean, look, you know, we're, we're talking and debating, you know, about movie stuff, but I'm sure like, this is one of those examples where you could pick a side and I could pick a side and then, and we could debate and then we could flip sides and debate. Yeah, so true. It's like, and it's just like really interesting because I find myself wanting to make an argument, not wanting to argue, but just wanting to make an argument. You know, if you say something and I agree with it, but I want to argue with it because I see the other side and vice versa. It's yeah, just, it, I mean, it's, it's it's such a strong, compelling argument that, you know, the uh, fear is such a huge motivator in our biology. Like we respond so much stronger to fear than we do to love. Like, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, but yeah, you're right. That's you're right. evolutionarily we had more impetus to, right? Uh, if you want to live, you pay attention when things are scary. And that's how you get to, you know, send your genes on to the next person is by being able to be scared faster <laughs> than the guy yeah. next to you um, yeah. to some degree, you know? And I mean, I, you can obviously extrapolate that to see why, you know, we respond to the types of news articles that we do and uh, the headlines and uh, yada yada uh, is that generally speaking, we are very responsive to fear. And so whenever you're trying to get the best out of someone, like making them afraid of you can probably get you a lot of results. Now, if you don't have tons and tons of money to throw at them, then you probably won't be able to do it for very long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or at all. Or at all. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. It's, Unless you're just like, you know, the bully on that school ground. And true. Nobody wants to be that guy. Violence, yeah. man. Yeah. Anyway, sorry I went on a little soapbox no, there, but good. it's fun. It's every now and then, you know, you get a little bit more than movies on the podcast, but we like it. That's, that's after the movie discussion, <laughs> right? So if you're still listening, one, you're crazy, and, t- and two, you're welcome. Anyway, thank you guys so much for joining us and sticking with us this whole time. If you're still here, uh, make sure, like Wes said, join us next week. We'll be uh, covering Casino Royale. And yeah, I've really enjoyed this, man. Thanks for the the discussion and the the dialogue and the debate. It's fantastic. Good stuff. Uh, Until next time, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch the movies.